going on? You're listening to Hashtag No Filter with Zach Peter. I am fresh off of my Chicago trip. I, w- I had Monique Coke on last week, and we were um, eagerly waiting to go to Chicago for Generation Rescue's A Night of Hope benefit. Um, and I'm so excited to say that we raised, Rena, guess how much we raised? We raised over $200,000 we raised like a quarter of a million dollars that night. It was insane. Um, Jenny was Jenny McCarthy, of course, beautiful as always, hosted the event. Um, and her new husband Donnie Welberg came out and he did the the live auction, and it was it was awesome. We held um, the benefit in Geneva for Generation Rescue, Geneva, Illinois. Um, and there's not much out there in Geneva, I'll be honest. It's not downtown Chicago. Um, but there were people with some pretty deep pockets, and they were very, very generous that night. So it was insane, um, and I'm so happy. All of that money is going to go towards helping families um, affected by autism and Generation Rescue. Um, for those of you that aren't familiar with GR, they provide uh, they fund medical treatment for families affected by autism. So that money is going to help fund a lot more medical treatment grants for more families, which is just incredible. So thank you to everybody that came out and supported. And if you didn't go, go to generationrescue.org and make a donation. Um, and feel good about yourself. <laughs> So today's show is going to be really fun um, because I have uh, a guest on. He's he's drinking some Gatorade. Um, his name is Tony Bevacqua, and he is an accomplished educator, corporate coach, social advocate, and lecturer. He teaches college psychology courses, leads corporate wellness seminars, and has a private practice here in L.A. coaching people who have a desire to better understand their self-determining nature. He's also contributed articles to the Journal of Human Humanistic Psychology and Addiction Be- Addiction Professional Magazine, and he has a new book out. His new book is called Rethinking Excessive Habits and Addictive Behaviors, and he's here to talk to us about it, and he's here to give me a little rehab. Please welcome Tony Bevacqua. Wow, that's a great introduction. Thank you. <laughs> I think I can go now. Yeah. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you. I've been really busy. Um, just did a uh, workshop for a Jewish private school in Encino on okay. the use of language and being kinder during, you know, using communication and, and getting along with other teachers and, and parents and that sort of thing. So I'm always active in, in that area. Great. So I know you're drinking your Gatorade, but this week we have a, our drink of the week is a, um, I know we were talking about this on the show last week about wine, um, and people think that wine is good and it's healthy, but you also have to be mindful that wine also has a lot of additives and chemicals that they add in the fermentation process, so you should always drink organic. So today we're having a nice chilled organic Pinot Grigio, because it's a warm summer day in LA. Good choice. This weather has been so hot. Too hot too hot i like to go to the beach <laughs> well chicago is a nice i mean or well illinois i wasn't technically in chicago the entire time but illinois it was it, it was a nice break it was nice and cool the last day i was there it was a little rainy but i i wasn't hating it all right well you're back here i know and then i got back and i got off the plane and it was like nine o'clock at night and it was hot and i was like what is this it was not <laughs> it's not appropriate <laughs> All right, Tony. So we have a fun segment that we always like to kick the show off with. It's called Swipe Left, Swipe Right. 
It's a playoff of the app called Tinder. Have you? I'm sure you've heard of Tinder. I'm familiar with it, but obviously I don't use it. <laughs> so it's basically a dating app, and you swipe left if you're not interested, and you swipe right if you are interested in the person. So I have some pop culture stories that have um, made a lot of buzz over the past couple of days. And so if you're feeling it, you're like, yes, swipe right. If you like it, your thumbs up and your pro story, th- uh, swipe right. And if you don't like it, if you're not feeling it, thumbs down, then you swipe left. Okay. okay. I got it. So left is no and right is yes. Okay. I can do it. All right. So the first one, um, so every year MTV hosts the the VMAs, the Video Music Awards, and crazy Miley Cyrus is hosting it this year, and she came out with a bang, and she had all sorts of crazy sex and drug innuendos, and it was, I... Um, in the past, I've never been against Miley Cyrus, but I, I think this time it was just a little trashy for me. I think I swipe left to it. I swipe left. I saw it myself, and but you know, it, it's it's entertainment. It, right. It's it's all for show. But yes, I, I think you know, I don't think it really is that necessary to that extent. Yeah, it was a little too much. I mean, when you're constantly like, I get it. You you, you want to make jokes and you do drugs and you like, I get it. I get it. But like. It wasn't, it was a little too in your face. Overkill. Overkill. Definitely. Like the outfits were crazy. I get one or two crazy outfits, but she was practically half naked the entire time. Right. She showed her nipple at one point in the show. Every other word out of her mouth was F this and shit that. And it was just, it was just overkill. Right. I agree. So what do you think about how that, how somebody like Miley Cyrus, who has such a strong following, especially a young following, is given a platform like that and then uses it to push drugs and drinking to such an extent. How do you think that influences today's I, I think uh, MTV and the media and everybody else is responsible. They give her that platform. That's true. It's all about ratings. They had one of their highest ratings for that show, which means That's people scary. were tuning in and people like this sort of thing. We, we, we're all voyeuristics and... and uh, and people that like to watch other people do kinds of crazy things. And as long as we have that forum that are going to allow those people to do that, then, you know, yes, uh, I, I will, I'll swipe left, but a lot of people are swiping right. That's kind of sad to me. I'm sorry. I mean, and, and I'm in that millennial demographic. I'm right there with it, but I just, I don't, I didn't get it. I didn't like it. I thought it was trashy and skanky and just... And then she released a new album, and I tried to listen to it today because I really liked her last album. It was about heartbreak, and I was like, I get this. But I didn't. I but, think but keep everything it, but, she's but keep about. It, but keep in mind, you know, MTV knows what they're doing. It's not the greatest network anymore. They know that by promoting this. I felt like they were trying to turn it around, though. Well, they figure they need some ratings to turn it around. They know what they're getting when they get her as a host. And that was all planned and strategized for ratings. At the end of the day, it's all about entertainment. Yeah, it's sad. I saw them going in such a good direction, and they even like brought like the Do Something Award show that they tried to do to encourage people, which I thought was a great motive. And, and one thing that I've never really talked about, but a few years ago when I was – or more than a few years ago, but when I was um, – when I was 16, I actually filmed a show for MTV. It didn't get picked up, but it was about 16-year-olds that were um, doing something. And since I was so active with um, the work with autism and with Generation Rescue and my fundraising efforts and um, and all of the 
professional projects that I had going on at the time, they were following me and, and I taped something for them. And it looked like that was kind of the model that they were going in was following people with a message and who are kind of young and, and, and doing something with, you know, with themselves and, and trying to make a social change. And then the show didn't end up getting picked up. And then here we are all these years later. And it's just like, I don't like the direction they're going in. Always, anybody looking for attention, there's too much media out there, and you got to get people's attention, and that's one way to do it, because we know that sells. That's true. It's unfortunate, but that's true. Speaking of of headlines, though, our next story is um, Kanye West made an interesting announcement. (laughs) Kanye West wants to run for president, everybody, as if Donald Trump wasn't bad enough. Kanye West has decided he is ready to take on politics. Well, it goes to my first statement. Um, MTV, obviously, they they knew that there was going to be the conflict between him and, and Taylor Swift. They know that people are going to be tuning in. They gave him way too much time. I mean, if this was any other award show, oh, that music would have been playing so after two or three minutes. Time. It was very self-indulgent. It really had very little uh, substance that was necessary. And he rambled on a and lot. rambled and rambled and rambled. So, again, it gets us talking. That's, that's what true. they wanted to do. And it gets people on social media going. And that's exactly what MTV wanted. It makes them, at least for that night, relevant. So are you going to vote for Kanye for president? Absolutely not. <laughs> Swipe left. Swipe left. Swept left, way left. left. <laughs> as far left as it can go. Are you voting for Trump? Uh, I, I think uh, Mr. Trump obviously has... Uh, some, um, you know, obviously some good qualities about him, but I think ultimately his message is very divisive and exclusionary. Yes. And I don't think that's ultimately w- what we're looking for in a leader. Exactly. He's not the best um, person to represent the United States of America. And the sad part is that there's a lot of people that like him and are following him and say they're going to vote for him. I, I don't get it, but again, that goes with all the things that we don't get. Yeah. Logical things don't seem to matter. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm not voting for Mr. Trump. <laughs> all right, so our next story in Swipe Left, Swipe Right. Um, so we all heard about it, the Ashley Madison scandal. It broke. They're leaking all the names left and right. Everybody's loving it and going crazy about it. Um, and, and Ashley Madison just announced recently that business is booming since the scandal. They've had over 87,000 new users join the site since the scandal broke. I would be suspect of anything coming out of Ashley Madison. To me, what's happening... Or going in. Well, I, I think what's happening with them is simply that they are trying to rebound from a major PR hit. Yeah. And I, I'm fascinated by um, Ashley Madison in the sense that you have 30 million or whatever uh, people who are trying, who are wanting to have an affair. Right. And the idea of having an affair, you want to be discreet. So you go to a, a, a website and give somebody all your personal information. Right, right. You give all your information. So <laughs> on the internet. On the internet, where we know that there's hackers all over the place and that anybody can access information if they really tried. So that yeah. whole thing, um, I don't know. I don't think anything that I hear from them, I'm going. To, I'm just going to be suspect of anything. I just think they, need, they, need, they need to change this conversation because they took a, a major PR hit. Yeah. 
they don't seem to be too bothered by it, though. It's not like they're like you would think when a company takes a hit that bad, they would be trying to do like major damage control. But it almost seems like they're kind of embracing it a little bit. Well, you know where they get well the uh, their CEO stepped down. I mean, they they yeah. have to make some movements to make it yeah. look like they're doing something. True. But we'll see how it plays out. We'll see. We'll see who what names get dropped out next. Okay, so let's talk about your new book. It's called Rethinking Excessive Habits and Addictive Behaviors. Um, give us an, a little, a brief little overview. What do you cover um, in this book? The book is uh, for general readers. It's a general interest book. So it's not like okay. a self-help book. And I try to make it user-friendly and take out the like uh, heavy doses of academic material. Okay. It's just basically geared to give a, a person who is looking for a different way of conceptualizing and defining the problem with addictive behavior, uh, seeing it from more of a learning perspective okay, and um, looking at it as a, uh, relationships that we've formed with people or substances that fulfill emotional voids and needs. Um, when you, with, with all, all types of addictive behaviors provide positive reinforcement, make us feel good, but they also at the same time remove distress and anxiety and depression and those sort of things. So it's very, very, uh, it deeply embedded unconsciously. Um, I talk about celebrities and their influence. I have a, a chapter on that. I talk about the origins of how AA formed and what influences that made it be who they are today. Okay. And, um, but I cover a, a wide variety of things from a lot of different perspectives in, in psychology. And at the end of the day, my message is that we need to be kinder, more compassionate, uh, more respectful and understanding, and more non-judgmental when we look at people that have any kind of problem in their life. So is that a book for people outside of addiction trying to understand um, the addictive behavior? I think it's for anybody, actually. I think people who are already indoctrinated in one way of thinking may find it uh, counter to their al already learned thinking. But I think for uh, young people who haven't really been exposed to anything or uh, educators, um, people who have family members, but they're still not sure like how to make sense of what's right. happening, I, I think it'll be a really interesting read. This is interesting. I think there are a lot of people, um, I think a lot of young people that maybe aren't necessarily dealing with the addiction personally, but that have relatives, whether it's a parent or whether it's someone close to them that, um, you know, they're, they're, they can identify with something like this. I would think so. I mean, I, I think what happens is that nobody has that many places to go to for counseling and where they do go, they're only going to get one message. And, you know, right. and so... Um, I'm just trying to open them up to thinking, rethinking, right, and um, and and not having it to be such a burden of um, stigma, shame, and that sort of thing, which is right. which is attached to it. I think this would have been really helpful. I had uh, my stepfather uh, suffered um, with alcoholism, and that was, I mean, it weighed heavily on our family, and so did my grandfather. I mean, I think I didn't understand what it was or what it you know how it affected them i just knew that there was the alcohol just was creating this monster and i guess there was nothing to help me kind of make sense of it right so i think this book would have definitely been helpful for me back then i think i think it'll help people just understanding that what whether the person's in downtown la 
you know, and homeless or they're in Malibu at a $50,000 a month rehab. What they have in common is that they, they beat themselves up. You know, their internal lives are full of self-condemnation, negative self-talk, negative rumination. So when you go for treatment, you need people who are going to be understanding and, right. and, and considerate of your personal life experiences and not just try to lump you together and put you in a box. Right. So what do you think about like, because I'm actually really impressed with your, with your knowledge of pop culture. Um, what do you think of celebrities like Lindsay Lohan who are constantly just um, bombarded with negative press about addiction? I feel bad for her. I feel I, I remember when she first you know, she was like any other young girl that was going out to Sunset Boulevard clubs. I, she made the mistake of driving, yeah. and I think making a bad behavioral choice and then ending up getting into the system. See, once you're in the system, that's it. You don't have to have a drinking problem to be labeled an alcoholic, right. and then be mandated by the court to go to a place like AA. Once you get there, you just can't say that I don't have a drinking problem. That they don't they don't want to hear that. Same thing with uh, you don't have to be a drug addict, quote unquote. And you know when I put my quotes, I'm saying <laughs> I don't really believe in that terminology. Yes. But you don't have to have a, a drug problem to be considered one if you get arrested for you know um, a, a little drug possession. Right. Uh, but when you get into the system, you'll be looked upon as one because you'll be labeled and have to go through the normal channels. So for her, I think she was a victim of circumstances. Uh, on any day of the week, there's hundreds of thousands of 20-year-old girls leaving bars and clubs. If you right. were to arrest everybody coming out of Sunset Boulevard on any given night, yeah. that means that we would have you know millions of people in the jails. <laughs> she was unfortunate. Media played on it. It's, again, great for ratings. And right. A lot of money to be made off of her, uh, but now she even you know up, was identifying herself as an alcoholic and had, and and having all these problems. Just a like, series of unfortunate events that right. spiraled out. Of so control. it all became very self fulfilling. Yeah, absolutely. So how does somebody that suspects a loved one that has an addiction? How do you approach that in you know being mindful of you know the terminology that you use or the certain words that you use? How does somebody? So let's say I know somebody that I think may have an addiction. How do I approach that? Whether it's a friend or a parent, just any loved one. What do I do? How do I help? You approach people lovingly, like they're human. You know, we, we don't do that. We, we, <laughs> we, we, we look at the person. We want to fix the problem. Well, because we see in, in mental health, we like to assess, diagnose, label, treat, fix, like it's a machine right. of some sort. And we don't see that each person is a unique human being. They have their own life in their head, their own thoughts, right. their own feelings. So we need to address that not with we know all the answers because we watch some reality show right. or we saw some celebrity that we read about who said he, he goes to some place. And we have to look at that person and and treat them with the kindness and compassion because all the, all the addiction is saying to us is that they're having some problems mentally, emotionally. And if we embrace that, that's like a red flag that gives us an opportunity to sit down and actually talk to them and, right. and hear them and give them some form of expression. Because the reason why they're going to some kind of a substance or a behavior is because they're not getting that fulfillment and satisfaction in the, in the real world, in the real life. So how do we support them on their journey without being too – because, I mean, I, I can imagine that it's really – 
tough when you have somebody that's in that and then they're struggling. How does a loved one then support them without being overbearing or without trying to without scaring them off? Well, what happens, I I call this, um, you know, there's like sort of like a trifecta of condemnation. A lot of parents and and family and friends, they love, let's say, the person. And they think that they're helping them by wanting to force them into treatment or, you know, and in doing so, they get frustrated when the person doesn't comply. They are critical of them. They are co- they, they sort of like very, they use coercion and, and tactics and yeah. they do interventions or <laughs> anything that forces the person to comply with what they believe to be what is the only thing in the world that will get through these people. And if they don't, that means that they're, you know, hopeless and I, I don't, I, I can't do anything more. Right. So how do they get through to them? Kindness, compassion, empathy, non-judgment. Listen to them. You don't know all the answers. So have conversations with Conversation. Them. Okay. Talk to me. Let me know, let me know what, what you're your feeling. concerns are. Okay. Let me know what that you're talking sense. about. Because if we don't do that, then I'm only looking at judging you based on this set of rules that I learned in school or, or in a counseling certificate that I earned that tells me that if you don't do as I say, you're in denial. Right. And that means <laughs> that you're, you're like, you know, you're going to be a problem now. You, we shouldn't talk to people like that. We should take each individual as a unique human being and try to experience them for who they are. And let them speak to us from their heart. But what about if you what if you know that they have a real problem, but maybe they are really in denial? How do you deal with that? What How, do you, give me an example. So let's say there's somebody that clearly has a, an addiction to alcohol. Okay. You know, they can't, you know, they drink every every day. They maybe try to hide it, but it's, it, it's becoming obvious to their friends and family or to the people that are closest to them. Um, and maybe they've identified that they have a problem, but they don't necessarily want to seek out treatment for it. Maybe they think they want to handle it on their own. How does somebody that sees that they're struggling and that sees that they clearly have a problem you know, let's say they're having conversations and there's that kindness, but if that person's not willing to actually accept the treatment, how does that person, how does the loved one deal with that? How do they support? The loved one has to become much more educated because most people think that treatment just consists of the conventional ways of treating, mm-hmm. rehab, AA, a 12-step program. That's not the only way to go about treating people. So um, there's about 23 million people on any given year that are considered to have a serious drug or alcohol problem, but only about 10% that actually seek treatment. Conventional thinkers would say, well, they're all in denial, the other 20 million. (laughs) But a lot of these 20 million are scared off by places that are going to label them and tell them that they are... Uh, they have no control, that their brains are being hijacked and all the terminology that's used, which I refer to as being very deficit-based, emotionally charged, and with negative connotations. So people are afraid. If the parent, the loved one, does a little research... There's a lot of things out there that's available, and if they can say, hey, I want, you, I want to get you help, but it won't be what you think it's going to be. It's going to be something a little bit more suited to your personality and who you are as a human being. Okay. I think they'll be much more receptive to something alternative or, or have an option at least to choose. Okay. So now you're very outspoken about like bullying and being very sensitive with the language that you use. How does that relate 
Um, and I, I know you've kind of briefly touched on it, but how does that necessarily relate to your overall message with addiction? I have a, um, there's an online destination called Elephant Journal, and uh, I just have an article that just came out called Words, the Most Powerful Drugs. And I open up by saying sticks and stones can break your bones, but words can break our spirits. That's true. And when we start early on getting labeled with all kinds of really negative kind of terminology, and, and I can go through a litany of them, but you can read about it. It's better to, you know, not use the language. They, they sit with you. You know, I, I relay a story of Oprah Winfrey, who was when she was 14 years old, her mom took her to a detention center because she was pregnant at 14. And she was recalling the story in her 60s as Oprah Winfrey, this very wealthy woman, very successful. And as she's referring to herself as a bad girl, the label given to her 14-year-old at that time, she started getting teary-eyed and very emotional. All these years later, she knew she wasn't a bad girl because she had been abused. She was always being abused and always being, um, you know, hurt as a child in her environment. But we don't see that when we take her into treatment or we're trying to work with her. We're only looking at, hey, you you did this, and so you're a bad girl because you got pregnant. Right. We're not interested in all the other most important things were all those responsible adults and the other things that like contributed toward it. And it's the same thing with drugs or alcohol. We, we see these um, uh, LBGT kids who have been labeled and rejected. Right. A lot of the homeless kids that I, I see, their parents just simply reject their sexual orientation. So now they're on the street. They are trying to self-medicate with, with drinking and drugs. They go to some, they get in trouble, and when they get into a conventional treatment, they're told that they're they've got a disease or something. Yeah, and it's just a vicious cycle. And it's a vicious cycle. Yeah. So that's how language everything reinforces you're 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 powerless. Well, you're already powerless. I'm homeless. Yeah. Hello. I, I don't I don't need to know, but then I'm extra powerless here. Right. So I don't think that really helps people. I think it sort of reinforces and maintains that self-condemnation, negative self-talk, and negative rumination. All right. Well, and if you want to learn more about um, about all of what Tony is saying about um, uh, how to handle addiction and how to support people through that and how to go with using more appropriate um, language and not name-calling and not necessarily following the traditional routes, right? True. Check out his book, Rethinking Excessive Habits and Addictive Behaviors. And now I want to close out with this next segment. And basically, it's kind of like swipe left, swipe right. We're going to close out the show with this. Um, it's it's basically where I want you to rule, serious or BS. So I'm going to go through a couple of these, and I want you to just let me know whether you think these this is something serious or whether you think it's total BS, okay? And they're all related to addiction. Okay. What about sex and porn addiction? You often see celebrities get caught up in these scandals and they automatically What are my two choices? Serious or BS? BS. Total BS? You think that... Complete BS. If, if Tiger Woods had not been married, would we have cared that he True. had a bunch of girlfriends? So it, it, it was the, the moral play and the, and the image that he had created that made it such a big issue. He was it a was big a star. Out. Yes. Total cop out. Okay. What about TV shows about addiction, like celebrity rehab or intervention that maybe try to try to tackle BS. it? BS? It's BS because we're talking again about 
exploitation and voyeuristic behavior, sort of all very reality-based, and we like that sort of thing. We like other people's pain and misery. That doesn't help anybody, ultimately. And we're also talking about only one approach, which is a conventional approach, a way of thinking about people who have problems. I want it to keep it personal. I want to look at people as unique individuals. I don't want them to be lumped together and advertised all over television. But again, reality TV is about ratings, and yeah. ratings is about money. And so I, I, don't, I don't support that sort of television. Okay. What about My Strange Addiction? That's an interesting show. It is an interesting show. I would say half and half. Okay. Um, Can the, we be addicted to anything? Yes. Really? We can be addicted to anything. Okay. Uh, the, the, the BS part is simply, again, that exploitation factor. Uh, but the, uh, the, the kinds of things that people can get addicted to can be anything. And that's for real. People will eat toilet paper. They'll eat. Really? They'll, they'll bite diapers. They'll do whatever kinds of things that they need to do because it does fulfill an emotional need. And okay. that can become addictive. It, it, does, it doesn't have to be drugs or alcohol. It can be anything. But I wouldn't make it out to be something that is helping people. Maybe somebody right. identifies and says, I'm not alone. That could be a good thing. Yeah, I'm not the only one that eats pillows. That could be a positive, but it's still very voyeuristic. Okay. And this next, well, I guess you kind of just answered this one. Um, it's marijuana and weed. Is that is that something that can be addictive? Because I've that's just something out of personal curiosity for me, because I've heard that people can be addicted to it, and then I've heard that it's just not something that's addictive. It depends on the definition. Remember that addiction is refer, originally was referred to somebody who had physical tolerance, uh, um, built tolerance and had physical dependency and psychological cravings, and then when they stopped, they'd have withdrawal. Well, we don't see that in marijuana. However, I wouldn't say that it's not addictive if it's something that a person is spending the all day and night doing right. so that it interferes with other parts of their life. So something can be an addictive uh, that's outside of, it doesn't even have to be a drug or an alcohol, it could be any behavior. If it's interfering with somebody's ability to function properly in their relationships and work, and I'm sure there are people that are smoking weed that aren't doing anything with their buddies all day, but hanging out 24-7 and, and, and smoking out. All right. There you have it. Go out and buy Rethinking Excessive Habits and Addictive Behaviors by Tony Bivacqua. Tony, what's your Twitter handle? I am Tony Bev Rehab. Tony Bev Rehab. Go follow him and check out his new book. And do you have a website you want to plug? Rehabnomore.com. Rehabnomore.com. Thank you so much for being here, Tony. Um, we appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you guys for listening to Hashtag No Filter with Zach Peter. We'll be back next week and every other week after that. Don't forget to listen and subscribe on iTunes and follow me across all social media platforms at JustPlainZach.com. Thank you guys for listening. I am out. 